electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Tesla shares halted. It's suspending orders ahead of news that CEO Elon Musk tweeted was coming at any moment now. We've got Phil Lebeau standing by to break down the headlines as soon as they cross. Plus, healthcare catching a cold going from the best performing sector last year to the worst performing sector this year. But a top technician says there is one name in the group that's a screaming buy. But first, we start off with the year of the China bull. So forget about the pig this year. The Shanghai up 18% in 2019, the best two months start to a year since 2000. This is trade tensions are easing despite weak economic data that continues to roll in. So can the China boom continue? Will the Shanghai surge uh, give the rally here in the U.S. some more fuel to run, Guy? Two-part question. Two-part question. Love can this handle thing. It? Yeah, I can because I right. actually listen tonight as opposed to just sort of yeah. you know, I just, nodding your head. Nodding my yeah, head. I, I get that a lot. The answer is this. I do think the China rally can continue. Obviously, Tim can speak to this, and Steve mentioned it last night. They're throwing a tremendous amount of liquidity at their market. And it's paying dividends now, the fact that it's probably up, what, 18% this year. But will it spark a U.S. rally? And my answer is no, Mm. because in my opinion, the stronger the Chinese market gets, the less inclined they'd be to do a deal with us. The less inclined they do a deal, the more pressure puts on our market. That's the way I would look at it. They have pumped a lot of stimulus into their markets. Is that what we're seeing in the 18% rise in that market there. I, I think we're seeing a combination of, of both the Fed, uh, some l- less pressure on the yuan, uh, the dynamics of global trade, which I think were more than overpriced into Chinese equities. I think it got to a place where our valuation, it was actually an interesting story. I also want to be clear. I don't think the Chinese market has ever reflected the macro environment and the macro economy in China. Okay, So um, the, the local market, I think, is a, is a, it's a casino. Um, and I think if you look at the Shanghai A-shares market, it's certainly a closed casino. It's becoming more open. Open. Um, I think the good news, both in terms of global investors and for the Chinese, is that the MSCI reweighting in China, we were supposed to have gotten an announcement today. We should be getting one soon. There's no question that passive flows are going to continue to go into China. Uh, Chinese equities long term look very, very interesting to me. And I also think that the Chinese economy in the short run has bottomed. I think all those things that you just talked about, um, triple R cuts, uh, stimulus, you had record credit expansion in January and February. Well, we don't want to see that because we've been worried about credit in China. In the short run, it's quite good. And so last night's PMI numbers to me are a lagging number, and frankly, they're not terrible. So I would say no and no to those first two questions. They have too much debt. I forgot what the questions were. Too much debt. Their productivity is is stagnated, and they have an aging uh, labor force. So I think this is all about the trade deal. Once the trade deal, the bloom is off the rose, everything comes in, including the U.S. market, but mostly the China market will lead to the downside. Yeah, I would just say that like, the Shanghai is a great example. It's a $6 trillion market cap or something like that. It's a, a fifth of the size of the U.S. Um, stock market, and I don't think it has the same implications as far as wealth effect is concerned when it goes down. I mean, this has been a very volatile index over the last five years. Don't forget, I think it doubled back in 2015, yep. and then it crashed, you know. So, um, you know, the way I see it is is that I don't think that their premier is looking at their stock market as some sort of 
kind of tell on how their economy is doing relative to our president, the way he views our stock market. And so when you think about the wealth effect, I think it's much more important here right now. And I don't disagree with Tim. You think about the news has been so bad for so long in China. I mean, really, it's been a source of a lot of risk asset volatility for the last five years. It seems like the news is much less bad at this point, And there's some potential levers for you it just to have kind of GDP, Debt to GDP is at 300 percent now. So and I do believe the pushback is I do believe that both presidents think of their marketplace as some sort of a test as to who's winning right now. So I think that China right now had that rip higher off the lows. They never revisited again. So I think they, are, they think they're in the driver's seat. And I think both of us are. Yeah, I, I think the victory, the victory for China, by the way, is integration into the global capital markets. Let's be clear. I mean, they, they want to reserve currency. They want to be they want to have commodities settled in yuan. They want to have MSCI inclusion. And that to me is about legitimacy. It's not necessarily about what happens in the Shanghai market. So um, I, I do think that the Chinese are thinking about made in China 2025, one belt, one road. And everything I'm hearing about the trade details that we don't really have and we're not sure when we're going to get them. Um, says China's not changing anything right now. And in fact, if we're talking about their currency as a manipulator, what is it, 10 years going on? We've had this conversation. Nothing's changed. They're they're happy with where we are right now if they get this. There is an irony in the U.S. asking China to to basically manage its currency to make sure it doesn't get too weak. Absolutely. When we've been calling them a currency manipulator this whole time, we want to actually formalize them being currency manipulators in the form of an MOU. But I agree, in terms of the, the MOUs that are reportedly um, outlined so far, it does seem like China is agreeing to what it wants. It wants intellectual property protections because it has intellectual property now. It does not want, though, uh, to, to lower the barriers when it comes to U.S. companies or foreign companies entering the Chinese and, market. And giving up To protect technology. the SOEs, right, the state-owned enterprises. Which is, which is a deal that was struck... 30 or 40 years ago, right? And essentially, Steve is right about debt to GDP in China. Um, and I'm concerned as well. The flip side, the bull side of that is more than three quarters of that debt is owned by state-run entities. So they could probably do this in perpetuity or until at least the market calls them on it. I mean, we're approaching, if not greater than, 100% of debt to GDP here, which is, I think, it's a ridiculous number. The market doesn't seem to care. And in terms of currency manipulators, and you said it, We've been the biggest currency manipulator in the history of mankind in the last 10 years. Nobody wants to put it out there, but it's absolutely well, true. Well, our, our White House and our Treasury have been talking about our currency in ways we never did before. So, um, yes, I think it is, it is strangely ironic. Maybe it's not even that strange, but um, I think there's been a lot of pressure on other currencies around the world for a long time. Chinese currency needs to float in a band, by the way, that needs to be more emblematic of their trading partners, and it's not necessarily um, the band that we thought it was before. All right, let's get to Phil LeBeau right now. We've got a news alert on Tesla. Um, Phil, what's the news? Melissa, they are now going to be lowering the price of the Model 3 and bringing in two new Model 3s, essentially. You're going to have a Model 3 that will start at $35,000 as the base price. The range, in terms of how far you can drive on the battery pack with that model, will be 220 miles. Let's compare that with the previous low in terms of what they were offering for Model 3, which was 260 miles range for $45,000. So they are bringing down that price point to what Elon Musk has long said, which is $35,000 for the base model, and the range will be 220 miles. They are also offering what they call a Model 3 Standard Range Plus. 
that'll have a 240 mile range. So you're getting another 20 miles of potential range with the battery pack in that vehicle uh, for $37,000. So that's the big headline here. And we're going to be hopefully getting more details from the company shortly. One last thing, uh, Melissa, the company is also going to be ending any sales transactions that have been taking place at the Tesla Galleria's. And they're throughout the country. You don't see a lot of them, but particularly in some of those more well-to-do areas, shopping centers that uh, cater to the well-to-do, you can go in, maybe you see a Tesla, you've arranged a test drive, and that day you say, yeah, I want to buy this one. In the future, it'll be all online. So those are the pieces of news from Tesla. Again, $35,000 Model 3 with a range of 220 miles. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau um, with the details. We should remind you that Tesla shares right now are halted so that uh, after hours trade, whatever you see, it's not active right now. It uh, closed a day higher by 1.6%. What do you make of this news? Well, it'd be interesting to see what the margin implications are, right, for this car that's going to be the same car, lower range. Um, what that means, they're not obviously, I think, what did they sell uh, or made? 150,000 of them last year. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think it's maybe a little too early, but you want to speculate what that means as they get to production of hundreds of thousands of these cars. Um, I, I, this is no news. I, I don't, you know. Plus, I, you want, I think they're going in the wrong direction. You want longer range on these vehicles. There was supposed to be, remember when he said that you're going to get charging stations throughout the entire United States. You don't want shorter charging. You, you don't want shorter uh, duration in the batteries. You want a longer duration. I'm sure they've done the, the analysis on this, but I do believe that it's going to hurt their margins. It's going to pull people away from the higher priced ones with the larger margins. And the battery lower is Lower margins, you need. but they could make it up in volume. In theory. I mean, in mm, theory, yeah. that's that's the effect that they're going for, right? They bring down the cost of the car, they sell that many more cars, and they make up for yeah, it in terms of total sales. I thought I didn't think it was a demand issue with Tesla. I thought it was the fact that it was a supply thing, right? So, I mean, I don't and know. This, this was a We've huge, heard North America's not going so well. No, but this is a huge, this was the huge story that we were waiting on pins and needles for. Too. <laughs> I think I'm sort of with Steve on this one. I, I don't really get the fact. I mean, you could have dropped this at any time during the day. I don't think it was all that big of news. And again, yeah, maybe demand is waning, but for the longest time it's been, listen, everybody wants a car, we just can't make enough of them. Well, so, you know, if you were reading the tea leaves all day, and a lot of people were doing that, what could this be? Some people thought it was going to be an upgrade to the autonomous system. Um, and, and hidden price cut or some kind of a price cut, if you knew that they were stopping essentially on all three models, trading on all three models and, and freezing prices, you got the sense that it was something that was going to involve all models and it was probably going to be a price cut. So that's kind of what we got. Um, in a world where these 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 announcements have been a little either anticlimactic or frankly untrue, a la funding secured. Um, I think you've got a dynamic here where the market's expectation um, was probably higher than what was delivered here. The most important thing is do they have competition uh, that is producing cars at forty-five to fifty forty-five to fifty-five thousand that's starting to penetrate. Do and they have competition at thirty-five thousand? No, they don't. They don't. They don't. Can they make they this don't. car at thirty-five thousand? I have to tell you, I still am skeptical. Uh, and certainly, as or we've all said, they're selling the car at thirty-five. I'm sorry, they're selling the car for thirty-five thousand. Whether or not they can make it for thirty-five. Well, it's also 000. the base price. I mean, so they're right. assuming that's that people true. are going to be spending forty grand or forty-two grand. And you know, again, this goes back to that thirty-five number got etched in people's minds because that is the average cost of an automobile in America. Okay. And so then if they wanted to go mass market, that's what they had to do, at least have that conceptually there. But then we lost that subsidy over the last year or so. And so, you know, to me, you still have a car that's way too expensive. Um, I think they pulled forward a lot of demand when they took those 400,000 pre-orders for this thing. Remember over the last year and a half. And I think a lot of people, those dropped off over the last year. Don't you think that this could be indicative of where demand in North America is? And again, Elon is indicating 
indicated that they're shipping all their production to Europe yep. and to China. Um, and that's great, except for it tells me that North America is not as strong. And if you're cutting prices, aren't you doing that because you're trying to stimulate demand? I know we've never questioned demand, except for the fact that we have started to question demand. And, and you know, I don't know that they can produce this car at that this price. This is a bigger story than, than just North America, though. I mean, if they can lower the price point, that gets them into other markets mm-hmm. a little bit better, right, in terms of Chinese the Chinese no, but the market, tariffs are still really high. I mean, this car is much more expensive in China. So that's, you know, that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. But yeah. I mean, if they can bring the price down, then the tariffs won't hurt as much. And then yeah. eventually, if they get the Shanghai factory up and going, then maybe they can actually make a car that can compete in that market for a lower price point. Comes down to how is the stock going to trade once this thing is okay. free to trade, which yeah. I don't know when that's going to be. But I'll say we said it two days ago. The shorts had every opportunity to bludgeon Tesla on two, Monday or Tuesday. It got down to 290, closed higher on the day. That was their that was their one shot. Now to me, there's risk to the upside. You know, Tim talks about the pain trade being higher in the broader market. I think the pain trade in Tesla is higher as well. You know, I think the irony is that you know Elon Musk theoretically has a Twitter sitter. Somebody who monitors all of the tweets before they go out, in theory. He does? You, the, this so week, he, he does. This week, he, it looks like he took a step so, backwards so he, on it. Mean. He tweets out yesterday that there's going to be news tomorrow at 5 o'clock, and the stock moves up 5.6% right. on nothing, on right. no material information, just a little glimmer of news. And he jabbed the tomorrow. SEC. I feel like this is a jab at the SEC. I think it's a jab at the SEC. <laughs> I think it starts all over again. And this has been the problem for Tesla. And guys said it before. We thought it was it was not a demand issue. It was a supply issue. I think- so all, the, all those premises that you made were based on the fact that if they can produce this car in bulk, and we haven't seen any of that, it still seems to me it's smoke and mirrors. Is, yeah. It, it, I mean, this strategy is employed by the White House, by the way. I mean, doesn't this feel like we're kind of changing the conversation intentionally and that we're creating a distraction? I, I think the SEC thing is nuanced. I think actually, also, by the way, if the SEC can be the bad guy and, and push, you know, push the mighty Tesla or the, the, the you know, push Elon Musk to a place where he doesn't want to be, um, they're an easy scapegoat when, in fact, that's not the problem right now. All right. Uh, we do have some breaking news here. MSCI will increase the weight of China A oh. shares in MSCI indices going from 5 to 20 percent. The index first added China just last year. It'll happen in three steps in May, August and November. We were just discussing this huge run in Shanghai so far in 2019. Part of this in anticipation of this move by MSCI. Let's bring in Rebecca Patterson, the chief investment officer at Bessemer Trust. Rebecca, great to have you with us. This, this will really change the face of the MSCI index by increasing this weight. Absolutely. For the emerging market index under MSCI, China now becomes the elephant in the room. This was widely expected, so it's not a huge shock that it's happening. But as you said a few minutes ago, the passive flows into this are going to be a source of support for Chinese stocks for the at least months to come, maybe longer. And I think another really important point made earlier, if you have the combo of a dovish Fed, so stable dollars, so the renminbi can stay strong and passive inflows into China, then as a foreign investor looking at China, I get a decent renminbi return and a decent stock return. It gives us legs for a little while, at least. You sound like you like China. Hmm. Well, we, we are very overweight, the U.S., but in December, we took our Europe underweight down even further and used that to add a little bit to emerging markets. We're almost neutral on emerging markets, and China, obviously, is a huge component of that. And we did that in part because we thought if we got a trade deal, which I think is highly likely, if we had somewhat dovish Fed for a piece of time, then we thought there was a valuation story and a catalyst there. But how long it runs from here, I don't know. 
So you're more bullish EM overall, meaning yes. China plus other markets, Correct. as opposed to just being a pure play China advocate. Correct. And again, a lot of it is valuation. These currencies got destroyed over the last few years, and so they're going to benefit from a terms of trade shock that helps their economies, plus the equity valuations much more attractive when we went back to December than Europe. Um, so you had that, and then the trade deal, in my mind, was a pretty big catalyst. So, Rebecca, when you look at the fundamentals, I, I get it on the trading aspect, and I get it on, on what's in and what's out on the China trade deal. But when you look at the fundamentals of investing in China right now with, with debt to GDP, with the aging workforce, mm-hmm. with productivity, what do you find? Is that a, forget all the other noise. Is that a buy or a sell? Well, I think it's time frame, right? And I know a lot of the folks who watch the show are looking fairly short term. And short term, I think if you have China stocks, you hold them. But if you're looking out over the next year or further on China, you have to have a decent amount of skepticism. Because if the U.S. slows next year, which I think it will, the fiscal stimulus wears off, Europe's a mess. It's not picking up anytime soon. China has a declining labor force, as you said. It needs Made in China 2025. It needs that productivity lift from technology. And if the U.S. is pushing back against that, how far are they able to take that to support growth? So the debt, I think they can massage for a very long time. But I think if growth slows, it puts everyone in a very nervous place around how long the Xi Xi dynasty, if you will, can last. So I think it could make people anxious about how much exposure they have there. And God forbid if the tech cold war between the U.S. and China continues or accelerates despite the trade deal, and we push companies to work with allies rather than China to change supply chains, that's going to have a lot of ripple effects on China, on a lot of companies and sectors. That's not this week or this month. This is the next year, two, three, and it's something supported by both political parties. Meantime, back here in the United States, (laughs) uh, you're using strength to trim. Yeah, yeah. So we actually went underweight equities about two weeks ago for the first time this cycle, very modestly underweight. We're not bearish equities, but we think after you have an 11% return in five weeks, most people would be happy to have that return for a calendar year. So I don't want to be greedy. If I think growth structurally is slowing in the global economy and I see some risks ahead, whether it's the aftermath of the trade deal, geopolitics, politics, policy, then I think if we have periods of strength, just to take a little off the table, I'm taking a medium-term view, trying to prepare my portfolios for the year or two ahead. You mentioned Europe. So if the 18 or so EU nations were one country, there'd be 50 million more people, I think, than the United States and a bigger GDP. Mm-hmm. And it's a mess, as you said. When does that affect us, if ever? I think it's such a good point. If, if Europe were politically able to harmonize their bond markets into one bond market, it would be bigger than the U.S. Treasury market, and the euro could become the world's reserve currency. For better or worse, politically, it doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen, so it stays fragmented. But when you think about the 40% of S&P sales that come from overseas, the biggest chunk of that is Europe. So if Europe continues to have a hard time or it slows further or it hits a roadblock, it absolutely affects the U.S. If you only have a U.S. portfolio, U.S. stocks, U.S. bonds, you still have to care a lot about Europe. Rebecca, great to see you. Thank great you to be by. here. Thanks. Rebecca Patterson uh, of Bessemer. Day. Yeah, Tim. So um, a couple things. First of all, I, if you want to get 
EM right, you have to get China right. So if you're investing in, in, in emerging markets overall on the asset class, this is great news. And the weighting, as we talked about, um, we talked just about Europe. Uh, I'm of the view, just like China, we've priced Europe into going into a tailspin overnight. I have zero confidence in, in the European banking sector in the long run. But in the short run, um, Germany has printed a couple quarters of growth. It's a shock that came from the first quarter of last year. I would be getting along Europe here. You know, it's interesting. About 10 minutes ago, we were talking about how the sentiment got overly bad. In, in China in particular. And I think that just from that discussion, you got to think, well, if EM is going to come back here, then Europe's not going to be far behind it. And that could be a short-term 2019 trade. But I think the most important thing is that the, S, uh, the S&P 500, the U.S. stocks, are the safest bet. It's just not where you're going to get the beta, in my opinion. And that's why you're seeing this outperformance, I think, in the things that might be bottoming where sentiment is really bad. Coming up, shares of Tesla, they are still halted in the after-hour session. The stock is slated to resume trading at 540. The company just announced a lower-priced Model 3. Tesla's hosting a conference call right now. We'll bring you all the latest headlines, plus a healthcare hang-up. The sector going from the best performing last year to the worst performing so far this year. But a top technician says there are some major drug stock deals in the space. We will explain. And later, Bud Buddies. Look at them. Martha Stewart joining Snoop Dogg. Teaming up with Canopy Growth to develop (laughs) CBD-based consumer products. A top analyst tells us what it could mean for the cannabis craze. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Two big retail moves in the after-hour session. Gap and Nordstrom. Let's get to Leslie Pickworth, the very latest. Hey, Les. Hey, Melissa. Gap announcing plans today to split into two companies. Old Navy will be a standalone company with about $8 billion in annual revenue. And then there will be a spinoff of a to-be-named company that will consist of the Gap brand, Athleta, Banana Republic, Intermix, and Hill City. Nuco will have about $9 billion in annual revenue and will be run by Art Peck, Gap's current CEO. Old Navy will be led by Sonia Singal the current CEO and president of the brand. Now, the spin will be generally tax-free to Gap shareholders and follows a review by the board. Gap's conference call going on now where Peck is describing why exactly they chose to make the split. I feel strongly that this combination of brands will be powerful. By bringing them together, we can better leverage capabilities and investments across the brands, share best practices, and drive efficiencies to create value for all stakeholders. NUCO will have approximately $9 billion in annual revenue, a strong balance sheet, and a significant opportunity to innovate, explore new ways to serve the customer, and quite frankly, what's on my mind is to write the next chapter for specialty retail. 
Now, Gap shares soaring on today's news, up more than 25 percent. The company also reported earnings that missed Wall Street estimates and uh, or revenue that missed estimates and earnings that beat. Now, Nordstrom shares also trading higher on earnings, up about 3 percent there, despite a slight miss on the top line. Their EPS guidance was in line with the street, which appeared to reassure investors. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. I'm still chewing over Gap. This is what I don't understand. So Art Peck, who's going to be the CEO of the new co, which is Gap plus all the other brands, right. ex-Old Navy, says that by bringing together these brands, they're going to realize all these synergies. I thought these brands were already together. Old Navy wasn't the drag, hasn't been the drag for a while. It's been the growth vehicle. So what can be different now? No idea. I was asked to say, because what I was going to say was, listen, I'm not that bright, as you know. I yeah. don't understand what's changed. I, I Why is it. the stock up? It was a lousy quarter. And, you know, Jeff Mackey was on the show years ago. He used to say specialty real, real retail. specialty retail he said it better than is that. where hope goes to die. He did. I was like... <laughs> But so I'm not I'm not certain what this is. I mean, I would fade this move. If you look, negative comps, lousy guidance. I don't know why the stock is up 25 percent. Well, also, you know, the strongest part of this triumvirate or whatever, the, I mean, Old Navy slowed in the fourth quarter. And, and actually, you know, the irony here is if this split follows the path and the performance of the of the pieces follows the same thing we saw at a number of companies, including Yum, including Alcoa, um, the high growth piece, the, the bulletproof piece is the one that's probably going to underperform. Um, and, and I also think that what they're able to hide in the middle of this announcement is that they're closing a ton of stores. And this is basically stores. a restructuring. I mean, this is, you know, and yes, you can get excited about that, but it's not necessarily a day to applaud what's happened. Although it's yeah. being applauded. It's Old being applauded. Navy <laughs> accounts for probably half of the EBITDA of, of this company. So I don't understand it as well. I wouldn't chase. They've, they've probably done the calculus already on what the uh, overall is worth, and it's probably right around $30. It's trading above that right now. Unless they think they can sell something. Yeah. And I'm they like, get a market valuation, yeah. then they sell something. Didn't you wear, you wear Old Navy? Uh, yeah. You wearing Old Navy now? Yeah, underwear. Um, here's your deal. Uh, let's talk about the, the department. Let's start at the de- <laughs> department stores. I mean, the Nordstrom, we had the Macy's yeah. bounce. Um, I mean, these things were just so beaten down. The sentiment was so bad. They're obviously very cheap. Um, you know, so, you know, I think Nordstrom was up 8 9%. Now it's up 2 3%. I think all these moves get sold. And, you know, you were talking about, uh, well, look at Walmart. I think you want to go back to Walmart last week. We look at Home Depot's reaction yesterday. I mean, the XRT is kind of hanging in there. I think that once we get through the the bulk of these retail earnings over the next week, and we should be done. That's when you lay into the XRT from the short side. So, lad, Tesla halted after announcing a new Model 3 lower price when the stock is set to resume trading in the next 15 minutes. Elon Musk is, by the way, speaking on a company conference call right now. We'll bring you the very latest headlines. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Well, the news is that healthcare stocks have gone from first to worst. But a top technician says there's one bargain buy in the sector. He will explain. Plus, it's magic weed. Okay, not exactly. But one top analyst says the latest marijuana trend could be worth $16 billion. We've got those details. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money Healthcare. Going from first to worst, healthcare, as you remember, the best performing sector in 2018, but has lagged the broader market this year, up just 6%, while the S&P is up more than 11. One top technician says there is one name, though, that you can play for a catch-up. Let's go straight off the charts with Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. Hey, Rob, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Let's start with the market overview, because I think it's really important we get a sense of where we are in the market cycle. Then we'll start looking at some healthcare stocks. So as a starting point, you know, the S&P, this 200-week moving average, that four-year moving average, is a very good long-term proxy for support for the market through secular bull markets. We believe we're in the secular bull market. In the 50s and 60s and the 80s and 90s, that provided support pretty consistently all the way through those two decades, each of those two sets of two decades. So what we have here, back in 11, the market bounced off the 200-week. In 2016, it was almost a perfect setup. And then coming into December of this year, we had the market almost within a couple of points bounce off that 2346 level. So what we think is developing are these sort of business cycles, market cycles, and we think the market's in a much longer term up cycle here. It should last another two to three years. So what do you do here? The market's up 20%. Growth stocks have ripped to the upside. Cyclicals have, have bounced back very strongly too. And increasingly, from a tactical, from a trading standpoint, most of those names are not particularly timely. We're not negative on them. We want to add to those stocks on pullbacks. But right here, right now, what do you do? So let's talk about healthcare. It has been a uh, laggard over the, the balance of this year, but when you look at this long-term relative performance versus the S&P 500, it's still in an uptrend, and yes, it has uh, underperformed a little bit here this year, but not all the stocks look like that. So what do you do with a market up 20%, cyclicals have ripped, growth has ripped, I think you come back to some boring names as you move into the second quarter. Look for names that are sort of stable, steady growth, some decent dividends. And we look at what Pfizer's done uh, over the last little while. It's come right back to that 200-day moving average into a tremendous amount of support. It's had this big correction through 18 while everything else has ripped. This stock's pulled back. We think it's really timely. And if you look at that relative performance, all the way back to that relative trend that we had in 18, and it's starting to hook to the upside. So names like this, a couple other stocks like CME have all pulled back in the first quarter. They're quality, they're at trend, they're very timely here. Now in contrast to that, and healthcare is a very diversified sector, lots of different things happening. The HMOs are an area that we're still concerned about. Now, we've highlighted these for the last two weeks in our, in our notes to our clients. They're starting to roll over. They've been hit very hard in the last couple of days. I think United's down something like 10% over the last, each of the, 5% each of the trading days. And it's probably getting set up for a bounce off this point. However, when you look at that relative performance, it's breaking the lower lows. So the concerns around the HMOs, I think, are going to last for a number of months. We'd be fading this stock, take that capital, put it in the Pfizer. We think it's a much more timely trade, not only from the standpoint of a paired trade, but for the market overall. Rob, why don't you come on over to the desk? Shelby will bring the chair. Good decision, Thanks, though. Thank Thanks, Di. Not that it matters not what you that think. Matters what I Welcome. Think. How are you? Good to see you. Hi, sir. How does biotech look? Uh, it's very mixed. If you look at a lot of the mid-cap names, they're, they're ripping to the upside with a lot of the growth stocks. Many of them look fine. Some of them are getting extended, but I think you're probably asking about the really big-cap names like Celgene and Gilead and Biogen. I think many of those names haven't participated in the rally. They had their peak in 2015, and they're basing out. So if you look at names like 
Biogen and Regeneron, I think those are actually pretty timely names, lower risk going into the second quarter. Do you see a test? I, and I know the, the numbers have changed and the retracements have changed. Yeah. And what we're looking at from that December low, things have dramatically changed, uh, predominantly with Powell and the Fed. So 2350 can be off the table, but do you see us coming in anything dramatic from here? I don't think it's going to be a dramatic pullback. If we go back to 2016, I think the setup is very, very similar. The Fed's on hold. China's stimulating. The concerns over a global recession are behind us. Cyclicals have ripped off the bottom. And I think you could be maybe looking at a 5% pullback in the second quarter. But I don't think you're coming all the way back down. We were never in that camp. We think that whatever pullback is going to be shallow, very churning, very sector rotation. That's why we like Pfizer here. So if you're, Rob, if you're looking for sector rotation, are you disappointed in the way that bank stocks act? Are you disappointed in the way that MAGA acts? That's Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. I mean, they just don't get going. And they Good thing you spelled that out. Mud. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Right, so there. look at Microsoft. Sort of a quality name led into the, into the correction uh, and is pulled back. It's actually pretty timely here. So is Amazon. Quality, big cap, liquid names. Not the accelerated growth in cyclicals that we've seen coming off the bottom in, in, uh, in January, in February. So I think there are actually pretty timely names right in here. Uh, Apple, around the 200-day, I don't think you got a lot of downside in those stocks. So I'd be putting capital there, Pfizer, CME. It's all kind of the same trade. A little bit less uh, accelerated growth, a little less cyclical. Probably pretty timely right at these levels. Any thoughts, Rob, and this is sort of out of the blue a little bit, on Tesla, since we are expecting the stock to reopen in about five minutes' time? So there's another name. It's a bit of a different animal. It's not the same sort of quality, defensive, dividend-type name, but it's down a lot. It's in a big trading range. I have to agree with Guy. I think it's actually pretty timely here. Timely meaning? On the long side. Okay. All right, Rob. Thank you. Rob thank Slumber you. of Fundstrat. I don't know where you want. We, we covered a Big a cap pharma. Big, pack, big cap pharma, Mel. Okay. Because you what said, where do you want to go? We covered a lot. Where we, we you? Did, yes. So where in Big Cat Pharma? So it's very Pfizer, interesting. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. So Eli Lilly, it's its own animal. That has been significantly through its all-time high. We've been bullish Pfizer. Look at both Pfizer and Merck, though. Pfizer is within a whisper of the all-time high it made in 2000-ish, which I think was 46 and a half, 47. And Merck is within a few dollars now of its all-time high, made it basically exactly the same time. In terms of Big Cap Pharma, ex-Eli Lilly, you are talking about the potential for the double top of all double tops. And if that were to happen, I'd say watch out below, folks. Should we be concerned about some of these managed care stocks? Rob had pointed out UNH, for instance, losing ground a lot no. in the past couple of days because of this Medicare I, for all. Yeah, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a huge political thing. So you have... The, the hardcore left liberal side pushing for Medicare for all, but it's never going to pass. So the stocks react first to the rhetoric, but there could be a lot of dynamics where at least this rhetoric is heard. It'll never get passed. So I think this is a buying opportunity in HMOs. All right. Still ahead, Tesla set to resume trading any moment now from announcing after announcing a new Model 3. Elon Musk is speaking on a company conference call right now. We'll bring you the latest. Plus, the queen of the kitchen, Martha Stewart, cooking up a new line of CBD products with canopy growth. And a top hot analyst says this could spark a bigger CBD boom. We've got the details. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back. We are waiting on Tesla to resume trading at any moment. It's been halted after announcing a lower-cost Model 3. Phil Abo just hopped off the conference call with the, conf- con- with the company. Phil, what's the latest here? And the call is still going on, Melissa. Mm -hmm. A couple of pieces of news from the call. I had a chance to ask Elon Musk, what's your estimate in terms of sales for the Model 3 now that you are going to be coming out with a lower-priced version starting at $35,000, which, by the way, 
the orders and the fulfillment of them is still going to take about three to six months. So it's not like you can call and they're going to have it ready for you next week. It's going to take some time for this to get into the pipeline of vehicles being built by the company. Uh, he answered that he still believes that it's going to be about a half million vehicles a year that they can build and sell of the Model 3. I asked him, what's that based on, Melissa? He said, look, I can't give you anything specific. It's just my gut. It's not like they've got a reservation list that he can say, we know that these people are going to buy it. It's his gut, his feeling, based on what they've seen from the Model 3 so far. And then also, Melissa, as you take a look at shares of Tesla, which have resumed trading after hours now that it's open again, uh, the question has come up about production, and he didn't get into a lot of details here. Remember, this is at the heart of what's going on with the SEC and them believing that he should be held in contempt of court. He said, look, we believe that we're going to build between 350 and 500,000 Model 3s this year and between 70 and 100,000 Model X and Model X models. He said, on the low end, that means you put 70 and 350 together, gives you, what, about 420,000. On the high end, potentially as much as 600,000. So that's the two pieces of news that have come out of the conference call so far. Mm-hmm. Okay, Phil. And, and is this conference call for just media or for financial analysts It's just for well? media. It's just for media, not for analysts. Okay. Um, Phil, hop back on. Give us uh, any updates as you get them. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Tesla shares, as Phil had mentioned, reopened for trade moments ago. It's been uh, pretty volatile so far in the early going, but it is down by about 2.5%. Remember that the stock was up about 5% on the back of the tweet that there would be news today. So not giving up uh, all of the gains there. Uh, it's interesting that the, the main focus that Phil had you know, put in front of us is the number in that he didn't violate the terms of the SEC deal because the number that he gave on Twitter was actually pretty correct based on the math now. Just stay off Twitter. I mean, this announcement, though, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it would have been, you know, when you say big announcement coming, the big announcement could have been we're partnering with Apple going forward, you know, 2025 we plan on being. That, to me, is a big announcement, which we would have spent the entire hour talking about. The fact that we've been talking about this now is interesting. I think, though, you buy the weakness in the stock. I think the trajectory is still higher. It's interesting. So you just said the math. It's not the math. He just said it was his gut. I mean, so look, think about yeah. it. He's, he's, talking about, he's talking about 500,000 cars. But his gut. Did you guys see the cover of uh, Bloomberg Business Week? It, it's talking about peak autos. It's talking about all the alternatives that people have now to own cars. And when you think about it, this is a year that we're going to see Lyft and we're going to see Uber come out to the public markets. I suspect we're going to be talking a lot about them in the context of some of these auto dealers or, or these auto manufacturers also. So that's a 2019 story. I, I, let's just get to what the announcement was. They're cutting prices. OK, folks. Do you cut prices when you have great demand? Do you, have cut, do you, do you cut prices um, when, or, or would you might possibly cut prices when you have liquidity issues and you want to sell more cars in the short run? Um, interesting that that 420 number came goal, out again, though. by the way. I mean, this is not Sorry? just we're, we're, we're putting cars on sale. This was their goal from the get-go when they launched the Model 3. They wanted they to wanted hit that price market. point. And they also they wanted, wanted a mass margin. Market. At, at, so at a negative if you flip margin. That around, if you flip that around, they actually achieved the goal that they had set out for in in another universe that might be praised. Not really if that car costs $45,000 to make. I mean, they're, they're running at they a deficit. They also have to make it. You've got zero margin. It just got worse. You've cut demand. You've cut all your stores. Why, why do you go all online? You need cash. They also have to be able to make the car. I don't, I don't have real conviction and confidence that they can make the car. I don't disagree with Guy that the technicals, you should have been able to break it a little bit earlier or most recently, but I would be a seller into this because I, I, I think guys have, have ran into it afraid lately, afraid 
afraid of what was going to come out today. Nothing came out today. You'll probably see more pressure tomorrow. All right, we'll continue uh, watching the stock and how it's reacting in the after-hour session. We've got more news, though, this time out of HBO. Let's get to Julia Borson for the details. Hey, Julia. Melissa, it's the end of an era for HBO. HBO CEO Richard Plepler stepping down after 27 years with the cable company. Now, of course, this comes about nine months after that deal for AT&T to buy Time Warner. HBO's parent company was completed. And just a number of days after the Department of Justice's effort to shut down that deal was ultimately dismissed. Now, Plepler informing his staff of this in a memo um, saying that it's an inflection point for the company um, and he's proud of what he's built. I've heard from sources close to the situation that Plepler feels like he had a great run at HBO and wasn't necessarily so eager to be part of the larger machine and under um, and with more hierarchy above him as part of the uh, larger AT&T family. Um, now, he Plepler is unlikely to be the only only big executive at Warner Media to leave the company. Um, I just spoke to a close source to the situation who um, weighed in on the speculation that David Levy, uh, who is currently president of Turner, another key division of Time Warner, is also considering leaving the company. He said there's been a lot of speculation in the company that right now he may be in the process of negotiating his exit. So obviously a lot of change um, at, at Time Warner, the company formerly known as Time Warner, now Warner Media as part of AT&T as they go through this restructuring process. Guys, I mean, over obviously, you. Julia, the timing of this is, is pretty terrible in terms of losing some key executives just as they're trying to really gain some traction on the service. Um, AT&T was speaking at a conference the other day, right? Did, did they talk about pressure on subscribers? Well, you know, I think AT&T is talking about everything they have in the works. They're investing in content. They have this direct-to-consumer streaming service that they're planning on launching at the, uh, in the, towards the second half of this year, in the second half of this year. And that's going to be a three-tiered service really competing against Netflix. But I also think it's worth noting, Melissa, that they're really, you know, understand that they're going to change this company. And just a couple days ago, there were reports that Bob Greenblatt, um, who's a former NBC, Univers- NBC Entertainment chairman, was in talks to come in um, to Warner Media to, to have a senior role at that company. So just as there was sort of an expectation that some people would leave, I think it's maybe not so surprising that these departures um, are in the spotlight just a couple of days after those reports that there could be a new boss at, at, that, at that business. Julia, thank you so much for that context. Julia Borston joining us with the latest on HBO and AT&T. And you're a remarking guy that AT&T has been a struggling stock. Yeah, I used, I used more colorful language in the commercial break, but I won't <laughs> use it on TV here. But it has since, I mean, this stock has been going basically straight down since topping out in two th- beginning of 17 at $45 or so. It's been a tough own. People say valuation compelling. You get the dividend. Well, guess what? You've lost all the dividends you've gotten in terms of price depreciation, and the valuation hasn't really been an issue. So what does it mean now? Well, Dan, I, I cheat off Dan all the time, and I looked over his shoulder, and, you know, that little flush down to $28 in mid-December was quickly recouped. And now here we are with the potential for a little reverse head and shoulders. And if it was to come to fruition, this gets the stock back up to $36.5, $37, which could happen, by the way, if rates keep going lower and if this market actually does turn over. Well, what is it waiting for? I mean, like, you think about this. Verizon massively outperformed AT&T last year. The stock down here has a 6.5% dividend yield. We have utilities making new highs right now. And you would think that AT&T would be participating. So to me, I think these men 
management um, exits are not that surprising given what's going on. But what's really important is that they nail the content transition. We know that this global phenomenon, which is Game of Thrones, is ending this year. And it's really important. There was a lot of talk, you know, 10 years ago when The Sopranos was ending, you know, some of these big series. They really need these anchors going forward. So that content was a big reason why they bought this company to begin with. Still ahead, Tesla down 3% after it resumed trading moments ago. Elon Musk is speaking on a conference call right now. We'll bring you the latest much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast. More headlines coming from Elon Musk in that conference call. Let's check in with Phil. Hey, Phil. Uh, Melissa, let's take a look at shares of Tesla and how they're trading after the hours, because two comments from Elon Musk within within the last 10 minutes are going to get some attention here. First one, he was asked about, you know, the costs that are going into bringing down uh, the costs on the Model 3, selling them, and the overall profitability of Tesla. He says that profitability will not be happening in the first quarter and the possibility of a small profitability in the second quarter is likely. In regards to the first quarter, this should not come as a huge surprise to investors, Melissa. You've got a number of things. Remember, they made the announcement about counting 7% of the workforce uh, as they try to streamline their operations. That's a charge that they're likely going to take in the first quarter, though we don't know to what extent or how much that'll be. And also, they're starting to ramp up deliveries to China as well as over to Europe. And that means that you're going to have a lag time in terms of vehicles built versus vehicles actually sold. So you put all that together and you've got a first quarter, which it's not going to be a surprise to analysts. Elon Musk says Tesla will not be profitable. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau, again, the stock down 3%. Remember that RBC downgrade recently of Tesla? Um, That analyst there said at that point in time that he was concerned about the more affordable Model 3 and that the fourth quarter might have been peak profitability for Tesla. And, well, I mean, so far it is. But yeah, it, look, it, it appears that they, they got some numbers when they needed to do it. They, I think the year-end cash numbers were also a little bit window-dressed, but you know that from me. All right, down three and a quarter percent here on Tesla. Still ahead, check out shares of Nutanix getting crushed on earnings, adding to a handful of stormy cloud reports this week. Are there clearer skies ahead? Traders will weigh in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Cloud. Stocks have been coming back to earth after earnings. Check out Nutanix right now, down more than 20% following the, uh, in the steps of Box and Dropbox. Next up, Salesforce set to report earnings on Monday. One trader's betting $2.5 million that the stock is heading for Cloud9. Dan's at the plasma to break down the action, Dan. Uh, yeah, so see, Salesforce, like you said, Mel, reports Monday after the close. The implied move in the options market is about 6.5%. But today, call volume was 1.5 times that of puts. And the, put, the call activity was actually not one trade. It was a bunch of traders. It was a lot of activity in the March uh, 15th expiration, 165 calls, about 3,700 of them traded for an average price of about 650. So you'd be looking for a move above 7150 if you were buying those at the money March calls playing for the earnings event. Like I said, six and a half percent move in either direction. That is the implied move on Tuesday. That is rich, the four and a half percent move over the last four quarters. Let's go to the charts here. This thing has been an absolute monster. Look at it. Back above, consolidating that prior high here looks pretty good. Let's go to the five-year real quickly. This is one of the best-looking charts in the market. Who cares about valuation at this point? Mark Benioff is doing everything he needs to do to make these guys the major player in the cloud. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. Full show, Options Action, tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final trade time, Tim. How about that 7% dividend yield at AT&T? I like it. 
Steve Grasso. UNH oversold by. Dan. How about these guys? I think the gap's a sale up here. E. This Bezos thing, we didn't have time, but he's there getting him back and then the NYC. Big ad in the Come New York on. Times. Watch out tomorrow. Just bring it on. And you know, you probably, why I found out about it, other than you, I found out about it on the Twitter. Ah. Mm. <laughs> All right. That does it for us. By the way, Tesla shares down 3% in the after hour session. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Uh, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.